Welcome to the Bible Questions podcast brought to you by BibleQuestions.org and the Holly Street Church of Christ. This podcast is dedicated to answering your Bible questions from the Bible. My name is Jeff, and along with Brian, we are the hosts of this program. Hello, and welcome to the Bible Questions podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. We have Brian and Jeff along. And Jeff, we're going to be talking about three silent killers. Now, some may wonder, well, what does that mean? But as we'll get into... We're going to be talking about things, I guess, overall that we should be concerned about as Christians that we may not necessarily think could be harmful to us. And as I suspect you'll, that you and I will get into, you know, certainly there's some parallels in the world, you know, in terms of our health or our diet or exercise that, you know, unless we are careful, can sort of, you know, quietly, silently sneak up on us and harm us physically. Suspect we'll also try and make a parallel to uh, something similar happening to us from a spiritual, spiritual uh, health perspective, if you will. Yeah, you know, one thing I loved about parables that Jesus gave is that he often used physical examples to help us understand a spiritual principle, like the parable of the sower and those sorts of things. Yeah, so to your point, we definitely want to do the same here. And that is, you know, from a physical perspective, some of us or some of those of you who are listening may have heard of silent killer diseases. So like a disease that sort of comes upon people silently that they're not aware of. And so if you were to look that up, you know, like silent killer disease, what you'd find is that, you know, it's a disease that produces few or no symptoms and is capable of causing death if it's not treated. So think about like heart disease. Heart disease, according to some statistics I looked up, is the number one silent killer. Cancer is a close second. So that's another one where it's not uncommon for someone to have some type of cancer and not be aware of it until it maybe starts causing physical pain or something like that. And then another one is hypertension, better known as high blood pressure, uh, diabetes, things like that. So once again, can be happening in our body. And this is probably why you know, we're all familiar with why we end up having scans and tests. And if you reach a certain age, the doctor says, go and have this kind of test because they want to detect some of these silent killers, if you will. So because there are no obvious symptoms, it can go untreated. It can result in serious consequences. Think about somebody who finds out once again that they have like a deadly cancer and they're given three months to live, right? Or someone who's immediately hospitalized and goes through months of treatment when just yesterday, everything seemed to be normal. So, you know, we want to look at this from a spiritual perspective and say, well, you know, there are also some silent killers from a spiritual perspective. And much like the physical diseases, there are some spiritual diseases that are really not easy to detect or maybe ones that we're not thinking about uh, that can be just as deadly as a physical illness. And of course, these types of diseases are more serious, you know, than a physical disease in the sense that they have eternal consequences. And so therefore, they really should demand our full attention. And so, you know, in today's podcast, we've selected three silent killers that can be a common disease among Christians. And we'd like us just to think about what they are, more importantly, see what the Bible has to say about it. And Jeff, figure out what can we do about it, right? Right. And as you as you correctly pointed out, you know, in the physical sense, we would want to be on our guard, uh, watchful for you know, the first symptoms of you know physical problems you know based on diet or exercise or 
um, heart disease, uh, diabetes, etc. Likewise, in a spiritual sense, we'd want to be on our guard and watch for the first symptoms. Uh, for example, you know, the first of the three that we'll want to talk about this morning is apathy. From a definitional perspective, lack of feeling or lack of emotion, lack of interest or concern, especially regarding matters of general importance or appeal, you know, from a couple of different dictionaries, certainly can apply to us or can be our attitude toward others. So, you know, in terms of a spiritual diagnostic, if you will, you know, in where or in what ways can apathy you know, start showing up in the life of a Christian. Well, some examples in our worship, you know, where we're doing what's right, but we're starting to just go through the motions. You know, we sing without thinking about the words. Our mind starts to drift. We're not really actively listening to the song or the sermon, etc. So in our worship, uh, certainly in our actions toward others, you know, we can start developing a sense of apathy, you know, a lack of sympathy or compassion, or we start becoming somewhat uh, jaded or judgmental, you know, toward those who may be in need, uh, to potentially even include fellow Christians, you know, minimal or no attempt to, you know, reach, you know, the lost. Again, apathy toward others, sometimes apathy in our knowledge of the truth, you know, not reading the Bible as frequently as we should, uh, not learning or studying the scriptures as much as we should, or, you know, we come to worship services and we sit in the auditorium and we kind of passively listen to the sermon and that's it. You know, we don't you know think about, don't try to apply it, don't, you know, study it more deeply. Apathy in uh, our work for the Lord, you know, minimal attempt, you know, kind of going through the motions. Uh, maybe we feel it's the job of, you know, the preacher or the elder or whatever elders to, uh, you know, work, if you will, act, actually do something outside of, you know, worship service. Uh, or maybe it's sporadic or half-hearted. Uh, or it starts feeling like a chore. Right? We do it only because we have to. You know, a, a number of different ways in which apathy can start to manifest itself uh, in a spiritual sense. You know, different signs that we might be uh, apathetic. Well, you know, if we start to, you know, think to ourselves or start saying to others, well, that's not my problem, or I don't want to get involved, or I'm doing the best I can, or I've studied that before, don't need to study it again, uh, or someone else will help them, or this somewhat harsh, well, they've made their bed, now they have to lie in it, uh, in terms of, you know, lack of compassion. Uh, you know, but from a scriptural perspective, uh, a number of different scriptures that address this sense of apathy or the be on our guard against it. Uh, Brian, you want to read first Matthew chapter 9, verses 36 through 38. Yeah, here it says, and this is speaking of Jesus, but when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary, weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Right. And uh, continuing on, Romans chapter 12, verse 11, do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Uh, Hebrews chapter 9, verses 12 through 14, talks about the 
a progression from being a new Christian to being a more experienced, mature Christian. Again, Hebrews 5, beginning verse 12. Though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you, again, the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Uh, again, a, a sense that we need to be you know, learning and growing and pushing toward maturity and not falling back into an apathetic sense of, you know, who cares or I've, all, I've already you know, learned everything I need to learn. All right, next, Ecclesiastes 9, verse 10. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. There is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you are spiritual. Restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. You know, take an active role. How about Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24? In a context of coming together, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 7. The righteous considers the cause of the poor, but the wicked does not understand such knowledge. Brian, and finally, the last verse, uh, uh, Revelation chapter 3, verses 15 and 16. Here it says, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were cold or hot, so then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Right. Sort of like in between, just sort of like, eh, <laughs> if I could use that expression. Again, somewhat apathetic. Uh, something we certainly need to be on our guard for. Uh, and if we find ourselves slipping into that sense of going through the motions, but not really engaging our feelings and our emotions and our interest and our concern. Well, here's, here's this, as we've introduced at the beginning of the podcast, a potential silent killer uh, in terms of our spiritual life. Brian, you want to add anything? Yeah, one thing I like about these passages is it really makes it clear that the Christian life is a life of action. And so going up to the, you know, the very first passage that you looked at where Jesus talked about in Matthew chapter 9 that the, you know, harvest is plentiful. In other words, there are many people that are ready to hear the gospel. We just need laborers, right? And then Romans 2, do not be slothful in zeal. So God expects us to be zealous, to be fervent, as it says there. Uh, you touched on Hebrews 5, you know, we are to continue to mature so that we can teach others. And unfortunately, there are some Christians, they just kind of know the basics. They don't ever challenge themselves. And, you know, I say challenge in that, you know, to learn more or to the point you made when you were going through that. Some may say, oh, I already know it. I don't need to study it. But they don't have the depth of knowledge to the point where they truly understand it and can teach others. And then, you know, Ecclesiastes 9.10, whatever you do, do it with all your might. So all of these talk about, hey, our lives are lives of action. God expects our very best, not half-hearted efforts and those sorts of things. And so to your point, it definitely speaks to being apathetic if we don't have that knowledge or, or at least that desire to understand this and apply it. Oh, and, you know, to add to that slightly, you know, certainly... For people who have been a Christian for some period of time, there can be a sense of, I don't know quite how to phrase it, 
like getting used to something. I mean, early on, you might have, you know, strong feelings, a uh, strong sense of zeal. But over time, you get accustomed to attending worship service, as an example, singing, praying, listening to a sermon, Lord's Supper, etc. Um, and you somewhat settle into a routine or a habit, and you start just going through the motions, uh, which, you know, can be, you know, a, a sense of, you know, lack of feeling, lack of emotion, a, a degree of, of apathy. You know, you, you might not say, well, I'm just apathetic, but you know, you're not really being engaged, so to speak, in some of these areas. Yeah, and it's, that's a good point because, you know, we want to be stimulated by songs and those sorts of things. And I and I would think that this may be some of the reasons why we have, like in denominations, it turn, it's turned into entertainment with bands and concerts and, you know, stimulate, 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 right? And they say, well, I'm being filled with the Holy Spirit. And it's because... Oh, just listening to a sermon or just singing a few songs is kind of boring. Why don't we liven it up a little bit? You know, anyhow. So I guess there's a lot of repercussions for that kind of an attitude. Also true. I mean, if, if you're if you're going just for the experience, certainly you can fall into that, you know, just not satisfied with quote unquote simple worship. I try, you know, beef it up or amp it up in a, you know, like a, almost like a literal concert sense. Definitely. All right, the second silent killer we want to consider is indifference. So what is indifference? Well, if you look at a dictionary definition, absence of compulsion to or toward one thing or another. Well, what's this word compulsion mean? Well, it means something that we are compelled or driven to do. So this would be failing to be compelled or driven to do anything for the Lord, or as we just touched on, maybe do it sort of half-heartedly. Something we are passionate about you know, it would be what causes us to be driven. So somebody that's indifferent, what does that look like in the life of a Christian? Well, it can manifest itself in our attitude towards the truth. So we might not believe that there is a single standard of truth or that it's doubtful. Certainly when you look at the denominations in the world today and other religions, that's what you see is that they feel that there's more than one truth. Or you think about moral relativism, that we all you know, decide what the objective standard of truth is for ourselves. And so therefore, you know, if you're indifferent and you feel like the truth is open to interpretation or you have the attitude, well, you know, we'll never agree on everything. So therefore, there really can't be an absolute standard. Or someone might believe, you know, just being a good person is all that's needed. So in other words, I don't necessarily have to read and understand what God would have me to do and then do it. You know, as long as I'm generally religious and just believe in God, well, that's good enough. Or it could even, you know, for Christians say, you know, I love the truth. There's no doubt I believe that I need to do everything in the Bible. Uh, but I'm just too busy. You know, I'd just like to have more time for the Lord. But I'm just my job and sports and whatever keeps me so busy. I just can't do everything I'd want to. Well, it's a symptom of a larger problem, as we might say. Uh, how about our response when false teachers or maybe even just error creeps into the church? I mean, this has been a problem since the first century that the apostles warned the Christians about. So, you know, it could be something like, we know something is not right, but we don't do anything about it. Maybe we don't, you know, want to cause problems or we feel like, you know, addressing that error will sever friendships because it's somebody in our family and, and we just don't want to sever that friendship. Or, you know, our churches has such a peaceful atmosphere. Do I really want to stir things up, as we might say? 
or maybe someone that doesn't want to search the scriptures to confirm what they're hearing from the pulpit or hearing from a teacher is actually true. So those are all, all can be signs of indifference. So what are some things that we might say or think that could illustrate that we have indifference? Well, one we were just kind of talking about, you know, I don't want to rock the boat. So in other words, I'm not going to, you know, raise an objection because that would just be rocking the boat and disrupting this piece. Or maybe someone says, yeah, it's not really my job. I mean, it's the preacher's or elder's job to stand against false doctrine. I mean, after all, that's what they're supposed to do. Or you need diversity. Someone might say, let's just agree to disagree. I mean, we have entire religions that have that as a major premise. You know, you have all faiths religions today, community churches, where they say, oh, it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere, or, you know, everyone's entitled to their opinion. So eh, let's just agree to disagree. We know that we have doctrinal differences, but that's okay, because we all believe in God and in Jesus. Well, once again, that's a sign of indifference. So let's see, what does the Bible say about this? Well, let's start with Matthew chapter 13, verse 15. Jesus here said of those of his age, the, the, for the hearts of this people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn, so that I should heal them. Romans chapter 12 verse 2 warns us, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove that what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Jeff, you want to read uh, Jude verse 3 for us? Certainly. Loved while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. Yeah, so, you know, that's a good example of what I was just mentioning as it relates to saying, well, it's not my job, it's the preacher's job, it's the elder's job. Here, he was writing to all the saints saying, contend earnestly for the faith. So you should reject that false doctrine. First uh, Peter chapter 1, verse 13, this comes from the English Standard Version. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And then one more from the English Standard, like the rendering here in Colossians 3, verses 23 and 24, where it says, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. So when we look at all these passages, going back up to Matthew chapter 13, our hearts, as you mentioned, Jeff, a little while ago, can kind of become dull, right? We go through the motions. Therefore, or maybe we don't like what we're hearing. And so, as Jesus said, their ears are hard of hearing and their eyes have closed because we don't want to be condemned for what we're being taught. Uh, it's easy, Romans 12, to be conformed to this world, to let the world so influence us that we start believing some of those philosophies or doctrines of men and not what God wants us to believe. And then 1 Peter 1.13, you know, prepare our minds for action. Christianity is about action, being sober-minded, clearly thinking, and those sorts of things. And then finally, Colossians 3, you know, do do it the best you can, right? Work heartily, because you're working for the Lord and not men. And, and we do it to be pleasing to God, to receive that inheritance and so forth. So, Jeff, I'll turn over to you for any thoughts. Yeah, about the only thing I, I might add is, in many ways, at least here in the United States, we live kind of in a culture of go along to get along, uh, a sense of, you know, trying to be 
Oh, nice, courteous to one another. You mentioned not rocking the boat, you know, a euphemism for, you know, stirring up trouble. <laughs> uh, sometimes when trouble needs to be stirred up, <laughs> so to speak. Um, yeah, we, we live kind of in a culture that sort of frowns upon, uh, as you said, taking a stand for something, especially if it involves religion. And you're almost as bad as taking a stand for politics, right? Uh, somewhat, you know, looked down upon. And that culture can indeed influence us to be have a, a somewhat indifferent uh, attitude. Certainly can. So, Jeff, we've covered two, apathy, indifference. What's the third silent killer we should be concerned about? Complacency, which is kind of uh, in some ways related to the first two. Uh, a sense, at least according to one dictionary, a sense of self-satisfaction, especially when accompanied by an unawareness of actual dangers or unaware of your actual deficiencies. A, a different a dictionary says a feeling of quiet pleasure or security, often while being unaware of or unconcerned with realities, you know, unpleasant or harmful possibilities, realities, a sense of self-satisfaction, a sense of smugness. Uh, and certainly that is something else that we can fall prey to in a silent way uh different ways that complacency you know can enter the life of a christian well being a sense of comfort uh comfortable you know in our day-to-day -day living sort of like in a in a habit or a rut if you will uh, not doing anything to challenge ourselves to grow uh no self-reflection self-evaluation etc you know little to no thought about our uh, Christian life, Christian walk, you know, Christian living, being somewhat unaware of our you know, actual spiritual relationship with God, not being complacent in our prayers that are you know, perhaps infrequent or somewhat shallow, uh, or we only pray when we've got a need. Uh, otherwise, you know, prayer is just not really something we do. A sense of self-reliancy that, you know, we really don't need God or the Lord, you know, all that much. Well, except when we do. But for the most part, you know, again, kind of a sense of, you know, self-satisfaction, smugness, uh, etc. A passage that comes to mind, Deuteronomy chapter 8, where you know, God, through Moses, was warning the Israelites uh, that once they kind of became comfortable in the land that they were about to enter, it would be very easy for them to forget about God. Deuteronomy chapter 8, uh, the extended passage is like from verses 6 through 17. I guess I won't take the time to read the entire passage, but I will kind of skim it and make some uh, high points uh, as we go. Verse 6, keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to fear him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a land, a land of brooks, of water, of fountains, springs. Uh, verse 8, a land of wheat and barley. Uh, oil and honey, the land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, you will lack nothing. And then verse 10, when you have eaten and are full, then you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which he has given you. Little passage, verse 11, beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments, his judgments, statutes, which I command you today, lest when you have eaten and are full and have beautiful houses to dwell in, and your herds and your flocks multiply, your gold, silver and gold are multiplied. Verse 14, when your heart is lifted up 
and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who led you through that great and terrible wilderness. Uh, verse 16, who fed you in the wilderness with manna. Verse 17, then you will say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. And certainly, Brian, we see that in our culture today, you know, especially here in the United States where we're physically blessed, richly, you know, beyond what many of the ancients, you know, wildest dreams, you know, in terms of our homes and transportation and our jobs, uh, health care, you know, easy, comfortable living, etc. You know, in terms of where we live, you know, indoor plumbing, electricity, you know, all the accoutrements of you know modern high-tech society uh, eat pretty much about any kind of food we want including middle of winter <laughs> we're eating all kinds of things like fresh citrus products from you know halfway around the globe uh, we can purchase almost any imaginable convenience in our lives all kinds of forms of entertainment etc and hence as a result we can become like the israelites you know pretty complacent self-satisfied life is good life is easy uh, and you know life is very comfortable and because of that you know that can you know, cause us to you know just kind of rest back or sit back and rest and go hey you know life is good you know i don't need to be you know too worried about uh my life my christian walk uh, spirituality you know e even to the extent perhaps of you know, don't even really need to go to worship services uh, you know, I'm kind of, Brian, reminded of the uh, the doctrine, popular doctrine of once saved, always saved, where, you know, you can kind of get complacent with that kind of a doctrine. You know, I don't necessarily need to go to worship service. I don't necessarily need to read my Bible. Oh, yeah, I, I, I probably should. But if I'm already saved and it's for, uh, not based on me and what I do or my obedience, then, yeah, from that perspective as well, I can become complacent in addition to all the physical prosperity round about us and have it basically silently kill us you know kill our spirituality as a result right thoughts yeah this one's especially dangerous i mean they all are right but to your point you know it's interesting how mankind has always been the same in the sense like you know solomon mentioned in ecclesiastes chapter one and verse nine that there is nothing new under the sun and, and what do i mean about man has always been the same well much like we saw here where Moses told the Israelites, you know, here's this danger, be aware of it. You're going to be given a land that you didn't fight for necessarily. I mean, we know that they did have to fight, but God was on their side. Uh, you're going to occupy houses that you didn't build. You're going to inherit vineyards that you didn't plant. And, you know, things are going to get real comfortable. And he even talks in one passage about, you know, you're going to grow fat, right? And you're just going to sit back and you're going to say, not only... Are you not thankful for it? But you now start ascribing it to your greatness. This is why we're comfortable because of me. And man's just always had this tendency when things are going really well, well, then what do I need God for? And they may not consciously be thinking of it, but certainly subconsciously, it almost seems like we can easily fall into that trap where to your point, oh, do I have to go to every service? I go on Sunday or yeah, you know, I'm doing my best, but you're not really doing work with the church that you're a member of, whatever it might be. I mean, it can manifest itself in many different ways. And so it's just an extremely dangerous killer 
where especially if we feel like we're doing all we can and I don't really have this problem kind of mentality, eh, it can sneak up and, and literally cost our soul, if you will. Oh, and you can easily see, you know, in terms of complacency, you know, in the physical sense, you know, we may not bother to exercise, we may not bother to eat right, we got all kinds of wonderful food around, which we freely partake of. And, you know, over time, we start slowly adding the pounds, slowly adding the fat, slowly, you know, becoming lethargic, you know, complacent. Yeah, I may not exercise as much as I should, but, you know, I'm okay. Uh, not knowing in, in a physical sense that, you know, it's it's kind of creeping up on you and your blood pressure is starting to rise. You start developing insulin resistance, you know, type 2 diabetes sort of sneaks up on you and, and gets you. You know, that, that sense of, hey, I'm, I'm doing okay. And in reality, well, maybe you're not. <laughs> right. You can be blind to it, you know. Um, exactly. And hence why you mentioned, you know, at the very get-go, you know, these are silent. Kind of sneak up on you unless you're very extra watchful. Yeah. And so let's talk about, like, well, what are the reasons for apathy, indifference, and complacency? And I'm just going to run through some reasons I put then Jeff, I'll give you a chance to add others or, or comment on these. You know, so many different reasons. I think that's one thing that we'll see. And once again, these are just a few I came up with, but but loss of focus, you know, so we kind of touched on that, how it's easy to lose sight of what's important. Could be an illness. And, and so like, what are you talking about with illness? Well, in my mind, you know, if you're suffering through an illness, then you start telling yourselves that you just can't do anything. I can never attend service or I can never do work for the Lord. It could turn into that. I'm not saying it does. And I'm not saying that the illness doesn't affect people legitimately. How about just laziness, right? It's easy to become lazy. That's going back to complacency. How about distractions? So I've mentioned earlier, you know, you could be playing sports. Your children could be involved. You're going to watch their games. You work all the time. You're trying to get ahead, get that promotion. Uh, things like, you know, so those are some distractions. There could be a lot of different ones. Procrastination, you know, oh, I know I need to study more. I'm going to do that. Or I'm going to really focus on my prayers so they're more in depth. Uh, we we leave our first love. The Bible talks a lot about that, especially into the old law, where God condemned the Israelites for leaving their first love, which was him in that case. And of course, ultimately Christ for us where we absolutely are on fire when we're first baptized, let's say, but then over time, we leave that first love. Or just comfort. You just touched on that, Jeff, very well. Too busy, once again, could legitimately be filling our lives with so many worldly things that we just don't have time for the Lord. And that kind of dovetails in the last one I had, and that's just priorities, you know, where we are not placing the Lord at the top, right? It's like, well, myself first, uh, maybe my friend's second, my family's in there, and the Lord's third or fourth or fifth, you know. So anyhow, let me uh, give you a chance, Jeff, to comment on those or add any of your own. Well, you know, the only one or two things I just might think of off the top of my head, you know, we already mentioned, you know, prosperity, material prosperity, you know, can result in all this. Sometimes if we're perhaps in a, uh, in a, in a church or congregation where there are some people that are highly active, it's easy for us to just kind of sit back, you know, and, and let them uh, yeah. you know, run the show or, you know, take an active role. And, you know, the, the job, the work's getting done. Okay, fine. Yeah. You know, Bill or Sue or whatever are sort of taking care of it. And I suspect our listeners can probably think of uh, other situations as well, whether it's from ourselves or within our family or within our local congregation that we just sort of stop caring as much as we should. 
Yeah, that's so true. And in fact, you know, there are remedies. And so that's, let's answer that question next. What What is the remedy to all of this, these three silent killers? So going back to the physical realm, you know, most physicians will recommend at certain ages that you get scans or tests to increase the chance of what's often called early detection. Uh, or if maybe your family has a history, let's say, of cancer or some other, you know, medical problem, they'll have certain tests they run because be, that runs in your family, right? And they, they want to make sure or, or see if you will be suffering from those same silent killers, if you will. Well, in the spiritual realm, we also need to test ourselves. The Bible talks about that to increase this chance of early detection. So, you know, 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 5, examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves? That Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you are disqualified. So that might lead to the question, well, how do we test ourselves, right? Well, when you think about, once again, this physical example of testing, for any test to be successful, it has to be compared to a standard. So what is the baseline? What is considered normal and acceptable? Well, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 17 tells us, from a spiritual perspective, we are not to be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So the standard is God's word. The standard is understanding God's word and his expectations of us, and then compare our lives against that standard. So when it talks about testing yourselves, it's not a one-time thing, right? But we, we along the way continually or constantly compare ourselves to this perfect law of liberty that we read about. And so, you know, it could also follow, maybe you had a, a situation as we were touching on earlier where you didn't handle a particular situation as well as you should have, and you know it based on what God's word teaches you. Well, reflect on that, commit to improving and then test yourself. Am I getting better at this? Do I, maybe I have a problem losing my temper, right? Am I, am I doing better or am I still losing my temper? And then, you know, once we're tested, we, we just, as I was just saying, you know, kind of examine the results and continually compare it to God's word. The next thing we can do is take preventative measures. So going back to that physical example, if you have a history of some kind of medical malady in your family's uh, lineage, if you will, there can be some things that the doctor tells you to do, right? And so as we've already touched on a few times in this podcast, you know, just realize things like comfort can kill our zeal for the Lord if we're not careful. We can become desensitized and, and not even think about what we're not doing. Uh, we have sins of omission we talk about, right, where we sin because we're not doing what God wants us to do. And then, you know, doing things like establishing good habits, like Bible study, right? So if you look at the King James rendering of 2 Timothy 2.15, it talks about study to show yourself to prove unto God a workman that needs not or needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. If you look at the New King James, it says, be diligent to show yourself approved to God. So in other words, you're putting in all the effort necessary to do so. Uh, and then, you know, just discussion and study with other Christians. Often congregations will have periods of Bible study around the worship service to help teach and learn and, you know, discuss with each other God's principles. In the physical world, we'll take medicine to correct this malady. And, you know, as Christians, spiritually, we have to accept God's prescription to be healed. So, Jeff, could I get you to read uh, Revelation chapter 3, verse 19, and then follow that by Job chapter 5, verse 17? Let's look at those two verses where it talks about God helping, you know, giving us a prescription, if you will, to, to heal ourselves. Sure. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. 
Behold, happy is the man whom God corrects. Therefore, do not despise the chastening of the Almighty. Yeah, nobody likes to be corrected, right? Nobody likes to be chastened. In fact, Proverbs 3 also kind of hints at this as well or talks about it. My son, so this is Proverbs 3 beginning in verse 11. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor detest his correction. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects. Just as a father, the son in whom he delights. So, you know, Jeff, when we think about, it could be kind of a difficult concept to think about being rebuked and chastened by the Lord. Now, we can relate to it when, as it says here in Proverbs 3, like our father does that to us. They might yell at us, right? Or they might sit us down and give us a stern talking to. But it's kind of a hard concept, isn't it, at times to allow God's word to rebuke and chasten us? Well, certainly we can see that, as you said, when we're reading the Bible and we come across a passage that sort of runs against the way we're acting or our attitudes or whatever, and being willing to listen to God, quote unquote, rebuking us, can also happen during a sermon, can also happen when, you know, a fellow Christian might come to you and make some comment about, you know, your, your behavior, you know, your attitude as it's showing up in your behavior. And normally our first reaction is to get, you know, defensive, when in reality, maybe that's the best thing that we need to hear at the time. Yeah, that's so true. And, you know, it's I kind of, we I think I meant, we mentioned this earlier, as far as, you know, you hear a sermon and something hits you right between the eyes, we might say. And you just, you just know, boy, the Lord, he hits it. In fact, I've even heard preachers talk about how somebody's convinced that they made a point to single them out, right? When it's really God's word singling them out. And it's like, well, what are you going to do with that? If it applies, don't become angry or defensive. Just take it to heart. How about rekindling our zeal? When we think about Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14, it talks about, you know, the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us in verse 12, that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. And then if you go down to verses 13 and 14, talk about, you know, Jesus gave himself for us. He redeemed us from every lawless deed. Why? Because he wants his own special people who are zealous for good work. So we want to remind ourselves that God, that's what he expects. In fact, I think about Ephesians 2.10. That's why we were created, to do good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk uh, in them. So we need to remind ourselves that we are to be zealous. We're not to be passive. We're not to be complacent, those kinds of things. Uh, suppressing fleshly desires, right? Paul talked about in 1 Corinthians 9, 27, he disciplined his body to bring it into subjection. Why? He said that I myself might not become disqualified. So Paul knew that you have these fleshly desires that war against the spirit, right? We have that, that war between the flesh and the spirit. And so what did Paul mean by bringing it into subjection? He was in full control of his body. So he's not going to allow those fleshly desires to get out of hand, whether they be anger, sexual desires, whatever it might be. He's like, I'm not allowing that to happen. Jeff, how about the example of the ant? Can you uh, read for us Proverbs chapter 6, verses 6 through 11, where God gives us the ant as a great example of this? Yeah, in terms of, you know, being, you know, indifferent or complacent or whatever, uh, or just kind of sitting back and relaxing. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise, which, having no captain, overseer, or ruler, provides her supplies in the summer and gathers her food in the harvest. How long will you slumber, O sluggard? When will you rise from your sleep? 
Ah, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep. So shall your poverty come on you like a prowler, and your need like an armed man. Yeah, wonderful example. And I like how the Holy Spirit here says, look to the ant. You know, look how diligent they are. They don't have somebody telling them what to do. They are just driven and they work and they work and they work and they build up these great anthills. And even though we may not necessarily like ants, <laughs> if they're in our yard or whatever, the truth is they're a good example of that diligence. Uh, another way, another remedy is to pray. You know, First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17 tells us to pray without ceasing. And that doesn't mean nonstop prayer. It's just saying that we put our trust in the Lord. We realize that we rely on the Lord, that he's there for us to hear our prayers. And it really gives us an opportunity to thank him. I mean, first and foremost, we should be expressing our thanks and our praise for our great God because he's given us the minds that can discern between right and wrong. He's given us the strength to be able to deal with difficulties. And he's given us the knowledge to make sure that we're not apathetic or complacent and so forth. And so prayer is a very important remedy if we're suffering from these conditions, as we might say. So I think the ultimate point we're making here, Jeff, is that, you know, we just don't want these silent diseases to lead to spiritual death. And the truth is, if they are left untreated, death is guaranteed. And so you know, think about this from a physical perspective. As somebody said, if you do the following, you will not suffer from this disease. But the opposite is true. If you refuse to do this, you will die. How many of us would just let ourselves die? I mean, unless we have some morbid you know, fatalistic attitude. We're going to do whatever the doctor tells us. Well, God's telling us spiritually, which is certainly more important than our physical lives, what we need to do. And so just hopefully everybody understands that these three silent killers can be prevented. And if we do become ill through repentance, Jeff, I guess we could say a cure is guaranteed, isn't it? Well, and hopefully our, our listeners can you know easily understand, easily resonate with the message, you know, from a physical sense i mean they may be suffering or they may have loved ones that are suffering from as we've mentioned before heart disease cancer diabetes it's kind of like you know slow you know the onset is kind of slow and quiet and you the disease may have progressed to a point where now finally it's starting to become apparent it's like uh oh uh oh what are we going to do now and so hopefully they can you know resonate with that in a physical sense and from that, easily make application uh, into our spiritual lives, our spiritual health, our spiritual attitudes, etc. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And, you know, we'll wrap up today's podcast with just a couple questions um, that have been submitted. And so, Jeff, let me go ahead and ask you the first one. We have this question that was submitted anonymously. And the person asked, what does Jesus mean? When he said the church in Ephesus had left your first love, quote unquote, in Revelation 2, 2 through 5. So that's first of all, for our listeners, let me go ahead and read the passage. Uh, and of course, this is Jesus addressing the seven churches in Asia Minor uh, through uh, John writing uh, messages to them. Jesus speaking, I know, and this is again to the Ephesians, Ephesian Christians, I know your deeds and your labor and perseverance, and that you cannot tolerate evil people, that you have put those who call themselves apostles to the test, and they are not, and you've found them to be false. And you have perseverance, and have endured on account of my name, and have not become weary. Verse 4. But I have this against you, that you have left your first love. 
Therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first, or else I'm coming to you and will remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yeah, Brian, this is kind of a, a challenging passage for us because if you, you know, at least for the first, you know, two verses, you know, it, it's a good story, right? You know, they persevered, cannot tolerate evil people, include those who claim to be apostles and were, were proven, examined and proven to be false, uh, endured uh, on account of his name, have not become weary. And yet, and yet at the same time, they have, quote unquote, left their first love. At least according to, you know, some commentaries I checked, yes, physically, uh, behaviorally, you know, they're doing what needs to be done. But perhaps they are starting to lose that sense of emotion or zeal or commitment or starting to, you know, even though they're doing the things, it's not really engaging their emotions uh, as, as much as it first started off. You know, they may be doing what's right, but perhaps without that underlying sense of emotional engagement. Uh, somewhat becoming, you know, even though they're doing what's right, to a degree, starting becoming apathetic or starting becoming indifferent or start, you know, just losing that sense of, again, that sense of zeal, that sense of emotion. And of course, we need to do what's right, for sure, absolutely. And yet at the same time, we need to do it in a way that engages our, our mind and our emotions as well. You know, Brian, I'm reminded of John chapter four, uh, starting r- roughly around verse 20. Where Jesus is engaging in conversation, the woman at the well. And the woman, and they're starting to get into now a religious discussion. The woman says, beginning with verse 20, Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and yet you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one must worship. Jesus said to her, Believe me, woman, that a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know because salvation is from the Jews. But a time is coming and even now has arrived when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. For God is a spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Certainly we need to teach the truth, obey the truth, practice the truth, but also in ways that engage the spirit and not in the context not not holy spirit per se but more our spirit our minds our emotions are you know not just go through the motions so to speak but also engage our emotions uh, and certainly as as you mentioned earlier some sense of yes we're listening to the prayer yeah kind of sort of uh or the sermon or the songs but, you know, we just kind of go through it and we're starting to think about lunch or uh, our minds are starting to wander or we're, we're saying the words and, and we're, we're sticking to the tune, so to speak, and the cadence, etc. But are we really listening to the words and being encouraged by the words or being you know, mentally, emotionally engaged by you know, acts of worship as an example? So multiple facets, and of course, as, as we've said throughout the podcast, something we need to be on our guard against, uh, else we have this silent thing that will grow and consume us, and spiritually, potentially, even to the point of killing us. Brian, any thoughts? 
real good thoughts. And I, as you were going through this, was thinking it's interesting how Jesus is talking about the church in Ephesus. But we can easily see how this applies to us individually, as you've been touching on, as it relates to leaving our first love, not having that zeal, that desire, you know, putting the effort that we should. And that's the whole premise of this podcast, right? But then also, isn't it interesting how he's talking about the church at Ephesus? So as a congregation, they were doing collectively, they were deficient, if you will and had left their love collectively. So what does that tell us? It tells us that we have a responsibility as a member of a church to make sure that the church is practicing what it should. And while no doubt all of us will be judged based on what we have done in the flesh, we also have responsibility to the congregation that we're a part of to make sure that collectively the church is doing what it should be. And like we talked about earlier, false doctrine comes in or you know, maybe the church is just not doing the work it should. We need to speak up. Uh, and maybe we do need to rock the boat. And that doesn't mean, you know, just become yelling and contentious, but to say, hey, you know what? Once again, congregationally, we, we can do better. So uh, it's nice to see that Jesus was approaching it or addressing it, I should say, as an entire church. Well, that's a good point. And I think early in our podcast, we, we mentioned, I think it's like Revelations 3.16 about being lukewarm. And Jesus basically being disgusted at that. In that particular context of Revelation 3, Jesus was addressing the church in Laodicea. It's almost like Ephesus, at least Ephesus was still doing the right things, even though their zeal perhaps was starting to wane. Laodicea, it's like, mm, you know, it's almost like they'd taken the next step. Verse 17, well, Verse 16, because you're out lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, spew you or, or vomit you out of my mouth. Verse 17, because you say, I am rich, and I'm increased with goods, and I have need of nothing, right? Maybe even in terms of like, you know, physical wealth, physical prosperity, kind of resting on their laurels. You know, we're, we're a, you know, as a congregation, we're, we're doing just fine. And yet from Jesus' perspective, still, Revelation 3.17, know not that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, naked, <laughs> So it's like uh, verse 19, uh, I rebuke and chase and be zealous, therefore, and repent. So, you know, I like your, your comments there, Brian, about, uh, you know, congregational level. You know, certainly we as Christians will be judged based on what we have as individuals, you know, appear before the judgment seat of Christ based on the deeds we have done. You know, certainly congregations as a whole are not saved in the sense of, well, I belong to Congregation X. I don't do anything, but I belong to Congregation X. And, you know, God is going to save Congregation X. You know, not that. Uh, but certainly there can be, you know, a congregational, if I want to say attitude, congregational behaviors, congregational culture. You know, the congregation, generally speaking, can, uh, for our topic today, become somewhat you know, apathetic, laid back, complacent, uh, indifferent, uh, maybe going through the motions, but yeah, something's missing. So something we need to be careful of. Yeah. And it's interesting how our next question is also kind of related to congregational action. True. So for you, Brian, someone wrote in, what does the Bible say about disfellowshipping? Yeah. And this is another subject that could be not just congregational, but also, you know, we have some personal responsibilities. But when you talk about, you know, church discipline, when disfellowshipping, if you will, the Bible does give the 
church a responsibility to practice what we call church discipline if a brother or sister in Christ refuses to repent of a sin. So, for instance, we're told over in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 6, But we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly and not according to the tradition which he received from us. Now, there's a process that needs to be followed. So what if you were just to look at that passage, you might easily think, well, if somebody's in sin, throw them out of the church. That's not what it's saying. In fact, Catholics excommunicate and those kinds of things. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches us that there's an important process that we need to follow if somebody sins against us individually, or maybe they're just sinning in general. Let's say they're a drunkard, that kind of thing. But let's look at Matthew chapter 18. And Jeff, if I could get you to read verses 15 through 17, where it talks about this process. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. If he will not hear, take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. If he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. So this is an, an, an interesting combination, if you will, where it starts out as an individual sin against you by somebody else, a brother. You don't bring that to the church right away. You try to deal with it individually. So as it says in verse 15, you go and tell him his fault. And notice it says, if he hears you, you have gained your brother. So hearing you would be, you know what? I apologize. I ask for your forgiveness. It's over, right? No need for anybody else to know about that. Well, verse 16, if he will not hear, right? If he's like, no, I didn't do that. I'm not apologizing, whatever it might be. Well, now you bring one or two more so that it's not just you saying it, right? Your word against theirs. But by two or three, you're able to establish what occurred. And if those two or three say, you know, brother, everything I've heard, you're in the wrong. You need to repent. If that person doesn't do that, well, then that's where you lead to verse 17. And now it becomes a church action. You tell it to the church. And if, once again, the brethren in that congregation encourage the person to repent and they don't, well, then guess what? You might have to withdraw from them, right? And so that's what that's talking about when it says, you know, let them be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. Now, what's important to remember in all this is that the ultimate goal is to get the person who sins to repent. Much like we read in Galatians 6.1, right? If anyone, if a man is overtaken in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, right? So you're not going and pointing your finger in their face, but you're saying, hey, you've sinned, don't want you to be lost, want you to repent. And then it says, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. So, you know, all of us are capable of, of being in this situation, but our goal when we point out a sin is to get them to repent. And then if they refuse, as we just said, we follow this process and may ultimately require that to be brought before the church and, and for them to be withdrawn from. And so in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, Paul's telling the church at Thessalonica, beginning in verse 14, and if anyone does not obey our word in this epistle, note that person and do not keep company with him that he may be ashamed. Yet do not count him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. So the other thing that happens is individually, if somebody's withdrawn from, it affects our relationship with them. We can't act as if everything's okay and, hey, let's go bowling and let's do everything together like normal, even though you're an unrepentant sinner, right? And so that doesn't mean we give up on them. It, it means that, as it says here, you know, we try to admonish them. We try to encourage them to repent. We don't treat them as an enemy because we're concerned 
for their souls. So anyhow, we have some really good information uh, on this particular subject. And uh, I know, Jeff, you're going to vector some folks back to the website, but I'll just give them one article under the letter F. The article is entitled The Matter of Withdrawal. And so certainly, you know, for anybody that would like to learn more about that, it's a really good article that talks about fellowship and, and how it should be handled according to the scriptures. Jeff? Oh, and, and that is yet another example of, I would say, getting engaged, getting involved, you know, when you need to get involved with your fellow Christians, encouraging one another when needed, speaking up, potentially even rebuking one another which would be in stark contrast to a feeling of apathy or indifference or complacency that we've been talking a lot about today. So like we always like to do with our listeners, uh, if this topic is uh, of interest to you, which we would encourage it to be, (laughs) uh, go to our website, biblequestions.org. Go under the topics section. Uh, As Brian mentioned, F for fellowship, along with F for fruit of the spirit. L for love, which in a biblical sense is like a self, uh, you know, a serving of others kind of love or doing for others kind of love. And certainly Z for zeal, which would help drive out, you know, apathy, complacency, and indifference. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Bible Questions podcast. We invite you to visit our website, biblequestions.org, where you can submit a Bible question to be answered. And you can also search archives where we have answered several hundred Bible questions over the years. Our website also has a host of free Bible study material, free correspondence courses, as well as sermons and a host of other material. Please stop by and check it out.